Easter is right around the corner. I'm looking forward to Easter. I really am looking forward to Easter. But we also have another holiday. It's called Purim. What's Purim? We'll read the book of Esther. you find out what Purim's all about. And so both, of, both the hol- Easter and Purim have something in common. They're both commemorative holidays. They both commemorate wonderful events. But I'm going to talk about Purim. And so I was thinking about Purim, and I thought, I thought you know what? I wa- what can I talk about different about Purim? And I'm just, just thinking. And I started thinking about the emotions that the people must have had after the first Purim. And I came up with this, with this message. And it's a message that we can, ta- we can take because um, I think we struggle, may struggle with this also in, in some instances. You know, after going through a traumatic event, it's not uncommon to first go numb and then experience all kinds of emotions, and some are actually damaging emotions. And I wonder what the emotional status of those Jews in Persia felt right after their first Purim. Let's look at um, Esther 9, verse 20. This is the word of God. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to the Jews near and far throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes calling on them to celebrate an annual festival on these two days. He told them to celebrate these days with feasting and gladness and, all, and, and, and by giving gifts of food to each other and presents to the poor. This would commemorate a time when the Jews gained relief from their enemies, uh, when their sorrow was turned into gladness and their mourning into joy. So the Jews accepted Mordecai's proposal and adopted this annual custom. Excuse me. <coughs> Haman, son of Amedathum, the Agagite, <coughs> the enemy of the Jews, had plotted to crush and destroy them. <coughs> Just like a Mojave desert up here, there's no water. <laughs> so the enemy of the Jews had plotted to crush and destroy them on the date determined by casting lots. The lots were called Purim. But when Easter, uh, Easter, when Esther came before the king, he issued a decree uh, causing Haman's evil plot to backfire, and Haman and his sons, well, hold on. Thank you. Thank you. Where did she get this water from? It's nice and cold, too. How many of you have had a head cold lately? Yes. <coughs> it's been all around the United States. Our country shares. Oh. You know, I hate when I'm thirsty out in the audience and the guy up there, the guy. You know who's good it takes these sips that make, it's Fantry. Michael Fantry. Michael, Michael, was, he'll go. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thirsty now. I'm not making this up. How many, how many agree with me? Look at Michael. <laughs> okay. I have, no, I have no idea where I'm at right now. But when Esther came, when Easter came, but when Esther came before the king, he issued a decree causing Haman's evil plot to backfire. And Haman and his sons were impaled on a sharpened pole. You know what that means. It means they lost their heads. That is why 
This celebration is called Purim because it is the ancient word for casting lots. So because of Mordecai's letter and because of uh, what they had experienced, the Jews throughout the realm agreed to inaugurate this tradition and pass it on to their descendants and to all who became Jews. They declared they would never fail to celebrate these two prescribed days at the appointed time each year. These days would be uh, remembered and kept from generation to generation and celebrated by every family throughout the province and cities of the empire. This festival of Purim would never cease to be celebrated amongst the Jews, nor would the memory of what happened ever die out among their descendants. So what's new? Trying to kill this people group. You know, the devil's been trying to do this. The devil has always tried to stop the birth of our Savior. By the way, uh, soon the commemorative uh, service of Purim will be celebrated. Go ahead. Um, and our Purim party will be uh, Wednesday, March 23rd at 6.15, at which you're all invited. These are fun times, okay? It's a, it's a fun time. We have a short message, a, a, just a few songs, and we do a lot of eating, a lot of fun. And we're going to have an Italian type of a theme. So you're all welcome to come, bring your family, bring a dish to share, and um, it's just a fun time. So I wish you'd take, uh, you'd take um, advantage of these times where we get to mix congregations with each other. <coughs> it's shocking when we consider the tragedy of what almost took place during the reign of King Xerxes. The story of Purim tells us that God has a way to change circumstances. And the Almighty also has a way to change our emotions. He has a way to turn sadness into happiness. Emotions. I wonder how many of those who celebrated the first Purim had to deal with the emotion of resentment. I wonder. Today I want to talk a little bit about resentment. Because resentment is something that we should not have and we should not have amongst each other because it can break up a congregation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for this, this, this time when I get to share this message that you put on my heart. God, I, spoke, I pray I speak clearly and uh, my friends would hear. And when the time comes down the road, they would respond correctly. In Jesus' name, amen. So tell me, what does the emotion of resentment look like? You know, when my, when, my, when my girls were younger, we used to play faces. Faces. Give me a happy face. Give me a sad face. Give me a mean face. And they make all these faces, okay? I never asked them to give me a, a, give me a face of resentment. I'm not sure what resentment really looks like. Does anybody want to volunteer to show me a face of resentment? Sue, you're not going to get it. Resentment, it's a thing of the heart, but it, it shows up on your face. You know, I am not sure what resentment really looks like on the face. But the dictionary describes resentment as a bitter indignation, a bitter outrage or anger at having been treated unfairly. Someone once said resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Marty, Marty Spilkes told me his marriage got much better since he took on a new job. 
And then he tells me how much he hates his new job. He said it's the worst job he had ever had. I said, Marty, how long have you been working there? He said, three months. I said, why don't you quit? He said, he said no way am I going to quit. He said, this is the first time in 20 years I've looked forward to going home. See, he's always struggled with his marriage, and now he hates his job so much. Now he wants to go home. It's a very nice thing. That wasn't a very good story. <laughs> Back to the Purim story. <laughs> Sometimes the worst ones are the really good ones when you think about it. Back to the Purim story. I think if I'd been living in the Persian capital of Susa during the time of King Xerxes, and I found out that my family was in jeopardy of being killed by the government because of our religion, I think besides fear, resentment would be one of the emotions I would have to face. That I'm living, I'm living in an empire, I'm living in an empire, a city in an empire, where, where people were willing to kill me just because of what I believed. Um, and even though, even though they wound up not killing us, the very thought that they were willing to do something like this. I mean, you, how can you not have resentment? Question is, have you ever felt the emotion of resentment towards someone or something? How many have actually felt it? We have some honest people. You never felt the resentment? If you have, you know that resentment does not travel by itself. It usually travels with feelings of anger, bitterness, and even hatred. You don't have to be in a dangerous situation to experience the emotion of resentment. Resentment is kind of sneaky because sometimes resentment creeps into our soul even when we try to compare ourselves. The Bible teaches that comparing yourself to others can cause you to feel unhappy. Why? Because it has the ability to really rob you of your joy. Comparing really is, is a lousy thing to do. And a lot of people just can't compare it, uh, can't help it. But the reality is someone will always have more money than you. Well, that's not hard to do. Someone will have better health than you. Someone will have a better career than you. Some will seem to have fewer problems than you. Etc., etc., etc. You know, the grass always seems greener on the other side, and then you get to the other side and you say, I want to get back to my own grass because I know where those weeds are, and etc., etc., etc. A real danger of comparing is that it opens the door to jealousy, and uncontrolled jealousy likes to take resentment with it. Proverbs 14:30 says, Peace of mind makes the body healthy, but jealousy is like cancer. In other words, your uncontrolled jealousy will consume you like a deadly, deadly disease. So anytime you choose to compare yourself in an unhealthy way, you're choosing to make yourself unhappy, and don't be surprised if resentment soon pops its ugly head. Consider all the sales catalogs you get online or on, in snail mail. You know the catalogs I'm talking about? Do you think the writers of those sales catalogs try to make you feel discontent with not having purchased their product? Certainly, certainly. You ever notice the, the people? The, I, I notice the guys 
on these sales catalogs who are modeling these suits, none, none of them have a body like mine. They all got six packs. Well, I got a kegger. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're all, they all look anorexic in a way. You know, all 32-inch waist. I had a 32-inch waist since I was in eighth grade. And, and, and the gals, the gals, they're not normal people. These are all, these are all models that are made up and touched up. And I, I've seen some models, and when they're just regular walking down the street with their ponytails, and them, they look like, like the rest of you. So just think about that. You could be one of the models with uh, uh, the right makeup and the right touch-up stuff that they do. So... like the warning on a, on a pack of cigarettes. Ecclesiastes 6.9 should be printed on the sales catalog as a warning. It is better to be satisfied with what you have than to be always wanting something else. That should be on, that should be on catalogs. Should be. You know, comparing not only opens the door to jealousy and resentment, it also opens the door to coveting. Coveting is not only a sin that needs to be repented of, it also causes dissatisfaction. For example, you're satisfied with your brand new purchase, and then your friend says, I bought the same thing, 25% cheaper than you. How does that make you feel? All of a sudden, your purchase doesn't look so good anymore, and your, and your satisfaction level takes a big dip. When I buy something new, I don't want to know what you could buy, what you could have got it for. I don't want to know. Why is that? Pro- you might got it cheaper than me, and then I'm gonna feel really bad. Again, when you choose to compare, you're opening the door to jealousy and coveting, and those two doors always lead to trouble. In James three sixteen, Amplified Bible, for for wherever there is jealousy, envy. And contention, rivalry, and selfish ambition. There will always be confusion, unrest, disharmony, rebellion, and all sorts of evil and vile practices. Well, Frank, wouldn't you agree that in difficult times, when life seems extremely unfair, it's difficult not to compare? Yeah, I would agree. It's difficult not to compare. But here's an antidote that will keep you from becoming resent, a resentful person. First, it helps for you to know and believe that God has a wonderful plan for your unique life. Trust me, there's no one else just like you. Let's look at interesting scripture from the book of Job. In Job 36, 13. For the godless are full of resentment, even when he punishes them, they refuse to cry out to help, to cry to him for help. Is it, is it my imagination or people today seem to be more angry and resentful? I, I don't remember a time in my life that people seem to be so angry and mad. And we're seeing, we're seeing this today in politics. People are, are, are getting mad over who you might vote for. This is crazy. This is America. We don't do stuff like that. I wonder if the kind of news from our different news media might be provoking people 
to resentment and anger. I wonder. Why do those who do not know God usually have more problems with resentment than those who do? Well, I think it has a lot to do with the love of God and his abilities, the abilities of God. So even when terrible things come upon a believer, the believer knows that God can weave their problems into the fabric of their life for their good. And that's the crux of one of my favorite scriptures, which is Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And this includes your freak tragedies and the evil that's intentionally done against you. <coughs> Romans 8.28 is an amazing scripture, telling us that God will work all the garbage in your lives for good. And some of us have a lot of garbage. And if we allow God, he will work it for the good into our lives. And I say if, because this is a promise only for those who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and are trying to fit into God's plans. This, old, this promise is only for the believer, the Romans 8.28. And we know it's something that God wants all believers to know. Some of you have gone through some terrible times, and you're still standing. I can speak for my wife and I. We've gone through some very trying times, terrible times. And, you know, years have gone by, and I can see now where God has actually worked it into the fabric of our lives, where, where when I talk to people who are going through something of, something of a very tough time, that I'm able to comfort them with the comfort that I've received myself. But I wouldn't be able to do it unless I have gone through this tough time myself. And God's worked these things into my life, I find now for good. You see, you're either going with God's flow or against God's flow. And if you're going against this flow, you can't expect God to turn your lemons into lemonade. It won't happen. That's one of the benefits of, of, of being a believer and really pressing into the things of God is this promise of Romans 8.28. Now, here are two facts of life. Number one, we don't always get what we deserve. Can you amen that one? Yeah, this can be either good or bad news. You see, when something good happens to you and you don't deserve it, that's something good happens. That's called grace. And, and when it comes from God and something, when something bad happens to you, I mean, that's just called life, it seems like. Number two, God can bring good out of bad. For example, what came out of the death of Jesus Christ? Our salvation. You see, God loves to turn uh, deaths into resurrections and lemons into lemonade. Another remedy to uh, resentment is to be grateful and rejoice in what you have been given, what you already have. Be satisfied with what you already have. It's amazing how, how soon as, like for me, soon as my car is paid for, I'm out looking in the papers for new cars. What do I want a new car for? My car is fine. It runs okay. The rust hasn't hit it yet. It's paid for. 
gas mileage is so-so, you know, it's not so fast, but it gets me from here to there. What do I need a new car for? Just because it's paid for. I mean, do I like pay car payments that much? No, I hate car payments. So I said, this is crazy. Why am I even, why am I, am I even torturing myself looking for new vehicles? I, I'm not going to torture myself. I'm not going to look for new vehicles. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is an interesting scripture. We are to give thanks in all our circumstances, not for our circumstances. You hear me? In other words, I can be thankful to God while I'm, while I'm sick as a dog without being thankful for my sickness. I can still thank God, but not for my sickness. I can be thankful when my car's transmission dies without being thankful for my transmission dying. I can still thank God. Give thanks in all circumstances. God doesn't expect us to be grateful for our lousy circumstances. But he does expect us to continue being thankful while in those circumstances. And we can, and, and we can have the mindset of that because of Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. In other words, I'm not going to be thankful for the tragedies in my life, but I will continue to be thankful to God knowing that he will use these tragedies to somehow work good in my life. Listen, don't be one of those who fall into the trap of when and then. When and then. When that happens, then I'll feel totally happy. When I finally get married, then I'll feel totally happy. Come on. When I have children, then I'll feel totally happy. Come on. When I'm able to purchase whatever, then I'll feel totally happy. Remember, you, you couldn't wait to buy that new car, and then the Wisconsin rust hit it, and I, I, you're not so happy about it anymore. Listen, anytime you look to anyone or anything or any event to make you totally happy, you're just setting yourself up for, up for a huge disappointment. Why? Because it's just not going to happen. So what are you waiting for for you to be happy? If you're waiting for your life to slow down, forget about it. If you're waiting for your life to be simpler, to be happy, you have to wait till you're in a nursing home. I come to a personal conclusion about happiness. Now, my wife thinks I'm not happy sometimes. But I always have happiness. I just don't show happiness. But I feel happy. She'll say, what are you angry about? I'm angry about nothing. she say, you look angry. I'm not angry. But you're getting me angry by telling me I'm angry. <laughs> you ever experienced that? Come on, this is common. I'm not always angry. I'm hardly ever angry. I, I may get vexed in my spirit a little bit, but I don't get angry. Pastors don't get angry, they get vexed. My conclusion is that my life's experiences and my happiness 
They're connected. Only if I allow it to be. Why? Because happiness is a choice. And if I'm not happy, really, it's, it's my fault. It's not up to my wife to make me happy or my kids to make me happy or you to make me happy. No, no, it's, my, it's, it's, it's a choice you make. I, I'm going to be happy. Try that sometime. When you're not happy, say, self, knock it off, get happy. I've noticed that those who are going through tough times, I've, for those who are going through tough times, I, I've noticed that some choose happiness even in their terrible circumstances. I've also seen those who become miserable and whiny over the smallest glitch in their almost perfect life. Like the woman who found that she had a run in her pantyhose, it destroyed the happiness of her day. I mean, big deal. Or the guy whose engine light went on in his new car. Uh, he didn't know the problem, but it destroyed the happiness of an entire day. Big deal. So your light went on, so you go have it checked out. What's the big deal? You know, whiny people, whiny people, people who are always griping, really, what good does it do? What good does it do? I got people that I know of. I don't ask them how, how are things going. I don't because I know what's good, what they're going to say. It's going to be terrible, and I'm not. I don't want to ask them because I already know they got terrible things happening. You know people like that. Helen, maybe we know the same people. <laughs> Do you like to be around whiny, gripey people? I don't like to be around them. I don't. Which tells me if you want people to. They'll leave you alone. Start whining and griping. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll dissipate. Another antidote to resentment and jealousy is really just to care for others. Stop focusing on yourself and, and concentrate on pleasing God by helping others in their time of need. And watch how fast result, resentment leaves and happiness takes its place. I think being a pastor has helped me to really be happy. Because I, I, I don't have, a lot of times I don't have time to focus on myself. Because I'm praying for you and I see what you're going through. And, and see when you're involved in a home, a home fellowship, I mean, it's the same way. You're praying for each other, you're, you're involved in each other's lives. And, and you know what? You quit taking yourself so seriously and, and it affects you in a positive way. Ecclesiastes 2.26 says, to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. Happiness. Try to please God. Make you happy. Here's the bottom line. Happiness is not the result of getting whatever you want. Happiness is the result of pleasing God and enjoying whatever you have. Happiness is not living a trouble-free life. Happiness is... Knowing because Christ is in your life, he will work all the good, the bad, and the ugly of your life for your good. All because you continue to love him and know you have been called according to his purpose. Don't allow the seeds of resentment and jealousy to take root in your heart and rob you of your happiness. You deal with it fast. When you see, it, you see that emotion coming in of resentment or any of those other Emotions that bring in resentment. Deal with it quick. I want to conclude with a story. I hardly ever conclude with a story, but this time I want to. Now, the author is unknown. The story tells of a merchant 
in a small town who had identical twin sons. The boys worked for their father in a department store he owned, and uh, when he died, they took over the store together. Everything went well until the day a dollar bill disappeared. One of the brothers had left the bill on the cash register and walked outside with a customer. When he returned, the money disappeared. He asked his brother, did you see the dollar bill on the cash register? His brother replied that he had not seen a dollar bill on the cash register. But the young man kept probing his brother and questioning. He would not let it alone. Dollar bills just don't get up and walk away. Surely you must have seen it. There was, a, there was subtle accusations in his, in, accusation in his voice. Tempers began to rise. Resentment set in. Before long, a deep and bitter chasm divided the young men. They refused to speak. They finally decided uh, they could no longer work together, and a dividing wall was built on the center of the store. For 20 years, hostility and resentment grew, spreading to their families and to the community. Then one day, in an automobile license in another state, it stopped in front of the store. The man walked in and asked the clerk how long he'd been working here. The clerk replied that he'd been there all of his life virtually. The customer said, I must share something with you. Twenty years ago, I was riding the rails and came into this town in a boxcar. I hadn't eaten for three days. I came into this store from the back door and saw a dollar bill on the cash register. I put it in my pocket and walked out. All these years, I've been, I haven't been able to forget that. I know it wasn't much money, but I had to come back and ask for your forgiveness. The stranger was amazed to see tears well up in the eyes of the middle-aged man. Would you please go next door and tell that same story to the man in the store, he said. The man was even more amazed to see the two middle-aged men, who looked very much alike, embracing each other and weeping together in front of the store. After 20 years, the brokenness was mended. The wall of resentment that divided them came down. It is so often the little things that divide people, words spoken in haste, like criticisms and accusations that result in resentment. And once divided, people may never come back together again. The solution, of course, is to let it go if you can. There is really nothing particularly profound about learning to let go of little resentments. But for fulfilling lasting relationships, Letting them go is a must. Refuse to carry around resentment, and you may be surprised how much energy you have left for building bonds with those you really do love. Interesting story. Let's all stand together. This is a family where we need to be on guard of our emotions one to another. We are called to love one another. And resentment belongs outside, not in this family. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace, peace in your heart, knowing that you will not carry 
resentment because it does you no good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you a lot. If you have a special prayer need, we'll be glad to pray for you. Otherwise, I'll see you in the coffee shop. Amen.